G'day and welcome to Safety at Work Talks, episode 8. My name's uh, Kevin Jones and I apologise for it being a couple of months since I've produced one of these. Uh, It's been a very busy time. Um, But I was able to catch up with a couple of conferences over the last uh, few weeks. And one of the speakers um, was a Canadian, uh, I would call her a safety communicator, but uh, she's probably a safety consultant and a few other, few other things as well. Her name is Eldine Posniak. Um, she was speaking up in Brisbane at a conference, and I was able to get a chat with her for half an hour, and I thought it would be an interesting um, con- you know, content for, uh, for a discussion to, to share with you. One of the things that uh, that happens with people who travel and speak at conferences is their presentations tend to get fairly slick because they've done them so often. Often the best time to the best sort of uh, time you can have with these people is when you can get them off the podium and sit down and have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea with them and have a chat and that was what I was able to do with Eldine Posniak. So for the next uh, half hour, you'll, um, you'll hear us talk about um, the credibility of health, safety and environment, a little bit about the royal family and her experiences there, also um, the relevance of uh, poor patrol in uh, safety uh, management and knowledge. I recorded this uh, just the other day in a cafe in Swanson Street in Melbourne, so you'll get to hear all of the traditional City of Melbourne noises of birdsong, Uh, some noisy chairs in the background sorry about that but also some bells from the trams as they go past so it's quintessentially Melbourne um, and the coffee and the tea was very good so now here's my talk with Eldine Posniak and I hope you enjoy it. Eldine welcome to Melbourne. Thank you. Um, You had a a whirlwind trip of speaker engagements and we're still in the middle of them to some extent so um, how, how have you ended up over here? Do we, who invited you? Because it's lots of different organizations you're talking to. Mm. Oh. <clears throat> Funny you should ask how people end up where they end up. Um, and I want to I get to the foundation piece, right? After I've asked the five whys of why I'm here. It's all about professional mentorship and sponsorship. I believe as professionals we need to mentor each other help each other grow but I think an unexplored part of what we do is sponsor each other when we find an idea a concept a message a compatibility how do we support each other and so probably one of the one of the main reasons that I'm here then is because a couple of people ended up sponsoring things yeah ended up Last saying um, this is this is you should have Eldine speak at the conference. So it was the NSCA conference in mm-hmm. Brisbane. Uh, they needed a keynote, uh, and uh, their last year's keynote, and uh, Marilyn, who's just sitting right here, mm-hmm. said, do we have the girl for you? She would be great. She has a, a lot of international experience. She has some good messages that at least get you thinking uh, about things, and and kind of, it kind of went from there. So uh, that's where the journey started. And then I thought, well, if I'm over here, uh, and I know a few people, I've worked with SIA on the Inchco board, so they sit on that. And, yep. Um, same with some of the people at the Amazon conference next week. So you, you had the connections, and you just yeah, turned them on. Yeah, just turned them on. Yeah. Um, um, you make mention that you're, you've got an odd name, Eldine. Eldine. I've seen it spelled so many ways, but it only occurred to me just now that it's needle backwards. Yeah, it's real sharp. 
So yeah, so you must have some. You know, I, try, I can see you. I try not to be the dull. symbol of your business is this big needle, um, <laughs> or let Aldine needle you into safety. Uh, I try to get ne- to the point. Needle in the haystack. Aldine is the needle in the safety haystack. <laughs> there you go. So well, I, think, I don't want to be that hard to find. Uh, oh, well, no, but once found, <laughs> yeah, uh, very important. Uh, so, um, so, but I'm glad I'm glad you're over here, and, and you're absolutely right. We do need to share. Um, tea, uh, do your tea while you're here. Um, is that uh, we do need to hear different voices. One of the things that uh, I saw you in Brisbane and, and I've seen you this morning uh, present, what, um, and don't take this the wrong way, there wasn't anything that you said in your presentations that was startling. But what I've seen twice now is that the way that you communicate what your message is, we don't see very often. So is it a unique style you have or is it something that that you know the US and the Can- Canadians go for, or um, ours, our presentations are usually pretty staid, not more often than not presented by lawyers or something mm. like that. Do you see yourself, how much do you see yourself as a safety communicator rather than maybe a safety professional? Yeah, I guess I see myself as both. I, I believe that people learn so much more if they're laughing or listening than if they're sleeping. And uh, very early on in my educational journey, my epic grand adventure in this profession, I saw so many people bore me to death. And and I saw so many people tune out of the message. Yeah. And and I learned from them and said, you know, I don't want to do that. I want to be the one that they remember or that says something that's different, that that can make a difference in their life, mm-hmm. that that truly can, can do that. So I, I, I think maybe it's the right time of of uh, generations, you know, with the TV generation coming in and wanting to be entertained and changing things up, and uh, I think that's all over the globe. People want to have almost infotainment. Yeah, it's it's a demand that's out there, and and if we can ride that wave so that people can pay attention to us, versus when they hear safety, they they do the big oh. Well, I mean, your presentation of multimedia, you've got dancing uh, mice and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Uh, I mean, and at the conference when I spoke and, and when Andrew, I, yeah, I was very self-conscious that ours was a delivery rather than there was no there was no colour or movement and whiz bangery. But also, it was, in a conference that goes for two days, we ended up being the contrast because there was a lot of people who were relying on the, the presentations and the walking the stage and the hallelujahs yeah. that uh, that made yeah. us I, different. Yeah, I guess I, I don't totally like the full hallelujah on you got to come drink the kool-aid kind mm. of bit um i always feel i want to stay back from that so if you ever see me getting that far please pull <laughs> my chain back on the stage um uh, i think you have to have different medias and messages for a variety of people it, it's that 80 20 rule right 20 percent of the people um either will love you or hate you and everybody else is sheep sorry yeah but, but yeah. you know so you have to change it up i sometimes i get very um state as well if you notice the one day i'm much more active the next day on the panel it's more conversational style because you're trying to get to appeal to different personalities different cultures different and so i think conference planners are very smart when they pick a variety when even speakers can know each other and each other's styles so that you can kind of feed into it see that i mean that that helps and that's so hard to do because if they're not providing their presentations a month ahead you don't know how to reschedule and make and build the themes. Really, really tough. Yeah. Uh, I think Brisbane got close on some, 
but you know missed on missed on others. But I did want to ask you because it's mentioned twice now. Clearly, it's it's there in your bio that you're at this bloody garden party that everybody talks about. So I'm not going to talk about that. But what the question that I had to ask you was, what safety and management advice would you give the royal family? You've met Andrew. You've seen their you've seen their backyards. You've had a party at their place. Um, what safety? How could they improve the safety of themselves or their stuff? So I had a limited view into their definition. Because, again, I, as you heard me speak over the last couple of days, I, I believe you truly have to find people's definitions on what they think safety is to yeah. take it to that next level. I feel that, and, and it's no fault of theirs, but a kind of a larger society picture, I think within health and safety in the UK, there's a bit of that conquers bonkers. They've yeah. gone almost too far, and so then people have lost credibility when they say health and safety and I, and I think the royal family may think of that as well even though they have they fund uh, charities like ROSPA that mm. that are for work and uh, community yep. safety and and they feel that it's important but I think that they feel that it's gone overboard so they don't give it as much credibility as it needs to have no. so I would say pull it back get into the get into the real world about hazard risk mm. and right control and, but that's hard to do when you've got lawyers breathing down your neck in yeah. certain countries that are just waiting to take things that next step. And, and you slip on the pee in the supermarket and yeah. now... I try not to pee in the supermarket. <laughs> but, but I meant the frozen one. Oh, I see. I'll pick yeah, it back. Okay, yeah, just, yeah. Yeah, either <laughs> one, you need a sign. Well, some people have tried to make safety and health more relevant by linking it in with security. So we quite often have people talk about health, safety and security. Mm-hmm. That's there. That's breaching it in, getting it into the public safety and, and that type of stuff. Um, I was wondering whether that's, you know, what was the security like in the Queen's backyard? Um, what were the logistics of that? Because we see, we see, well, we don't see her much now, but we'll see a royal person uh, every couple of years for a special event, but it's not part of our cultural makeup. I I just send in all my information. And of course they did the background check to make sure I was who I was and, and got the special yes, it's all okay. And, and so that was great. When we checked in, they definitely looked at my invitation and my passport. And being Canadian, the, the guard actually said, welcome home, which I thought <laughs> yeah. was kind of funny. And, uh, and then we walked into a sort of a holding area, which is between the, the people outside the gates and, and the palace before they let us An in airlock. and through. Yeah, it was yeah. literally. And you have people who've got machine guns and everything else walking around. And, and I, I realized pretty quickly that they had facial recognition, that they had all these aspects that we didn't feel we were violated. We didn't yeah. you know, feel that there was a lot of issues. I'm sure we passed through things that would detect if we had anything on us. And there was definitely undercover people around. Um, the swan with the fake, you know, head that turns and, <laughs> well, and, and I, I was, definitely. I was thinking of the the sniffer dog undercover as a yeah. guide dog. I thought that's a, that um, would be the one to go for. What, what I was uh, uh, most uh, Hollywoodized by was the Kingsman because I've seen the Kingsman movies over yep. in Canada, and you know you see the the carnation on the suit with sure. the umbrella, the pocket square, and, and all that. And sort they of were thing. there. Yeah, they walked with the royal family. Yeah. They had the umbrella that I'm sure had the taser or whatever. In it. Oh, the, the, the poison dart. The poison the, uh, dart, yeah. yeah. And and they literally walked prior to mm. to put people into positions yeah. and you couldn't go here and couldn't go there. And 
Uh, it definitely protected them. They, they had tea in their tent, which 100 people yes. were allowed. Then there was another diplomatic tent that had about 250, which I actually had a ticket for. And the rest of the people sat kind of outside that. So there was even delineations to how close you could get. Yeah. And we, well. we see that now as security, but in the past they might have seen that as class. Yes. So, uh, yeah, but right now it's protection. Uh, Safety for them. You, um, you've presented on um, ISO 45001. Uh, and I know there's a vibrant YouTube video that goes for at least 45 minutes that I fell asleep in. Uh, <laughs> it needs a dancing mouse. Can I just say, you need a dancing mouse. Um, but what's the, what's the biggest... Uh, and there's a lot of people spruiking 45,001. I know Australia's now going to formally adopt it, all that sort of stuff. What's the biggest weakness in implementing and managing this sort of international standard? Not, not its strengths, but what's its, what's its potential flaw? It's going to be the same weakness that 18,001. Yeah. It's going to be the same weakness that CSA Z1000 or ANSI Z10 or 8,800, 8, whatever, <laughs> yeah. right? Whatever standards are out there is when people don't understand that you can't run safety as a separate process or system or a different system than what they're running the rest of the organization with. And, and I, I think 45001 tried to make that clear by saying you have to know the organization, you have to know the key players, you have to know the processes, and you have to marry it, you have to integrate it. But I still think that people are just going to go, oh, here's these eight components, and then we have all of this, and here's the paper, and it, it, it still, runs tick, parallel. Tick, tick, and, yeah. and, and it's not yeah. truly put into the organization. I think... I think that's, and it's not so much the weakness of the standard, but those of us who are trying to implement it. Okay. And what we can do with cool. it. Yeah. Um, um, Canada is uh, decriminalizing, making cannabis um, yes. legal in, the, yeah. in October. Yeah, they wanted um, to do it on um, in April yeah. on the 22nd, right? Four, or so on the 20th, 420, but it didn't work. So, okay. for those who know that terminology. Yes. Not me. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> Lost me. But so, but so, what you've got is, uh, and look, we've we've there's all sorts of issues about drug testing, and the unions don't like it, and then we say, oh no, it's about impairment, it's not about all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But what's the situation now that um, Canada's going to legalise cannabis? How are we, how are workplaces going to manage people who? may still have THC in their system from a party a month ago, that type of stuff. Yeah. What are the processes in place? <clears throat> um, I see the fit for work programs really strengthening. So whether it's fatigue from the crying newborn baby, whether it is uh, impairment from whatever cause, alcohol, yeah. uh, drugs, and so forth, um, that those programs will be strengthening. Um, that there's going to be uh, more focus on our accommodation and modification programs yeah. because as soon as someone says now it's for a medicinal reason I got glaucoma or yeah. uh, that it is legal uh, so you, you'll see some companies that are just going to be saying you can't have any alcohol or any yeah. drugs in your system but then what about the Robaxa set because my back hurts yeah. and it says do not operate heavy equipment while taking it but yet we still take it at work mm. I, I think there's going to be a much more courageous conversations and working through those things. I don't think we have a silver bullet. We're yeah. going to be learning as we go. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, I know a lot of organizations are just saying it's going to be zero tolerance. So if you want to work in this construction or this mining site, if you're caught with any of it, it's, it's so the, bad, so sad. It's the easiest to manage and it's the easiest to understand. It's, it, you, it's just not allowed. Yeah. And, I, and I've worked in rail construction, so we have that all the time. Yeah. Um, but it, do you think it's possible to go um, zero and then say, well, we'll have it zero at the moment. But we're going to reassess this every year or every couple of months, and we may relax that in the years to come. Or is it is it once it's in, it's in? Uh, you know what? I'm I'm not too sure. I think as there's more studies about uh, functioning norms and functioning yeah. impairment, I do some expert witness work for a few law firms, um, and and. And that's come up in a couple of the cases. And I've got some secret intel with my older son being a police officer. And when they investigate accidents and such, a lot of the questions they ask is around functioning normality. Because if you've got a gentleman who has taken alcohol for 40 years of his life, he has to have a certain amount in his system to function normally. If he didn't have it, he'd be a greater hazard and risk to himself and everyone else. Um, in that case, you almost want him to have his nip before yeah. work to be able to work. And so uh, the person who's been on painkillers because they have cancer may have that same functioning norm. So do we say they can no longer do the job or do we find some type of modification or say, no, it's actually okay because they can function within this. Now, I'm not the one to do that because I'm not the physiologist, physiology major that can say what kind of impairment they have. But I think there's going to be a lot more studies going into that. It's, it, it is an issue. across. It's the hot topic right yeah. now. What are it's, we going to do? It's, a, it's sad that safety is going to be catch-up to it rather than being Ahead of right it. up in front. Of the yeah. um, yeah. There's a campaign in Australia at the moment for industrial manslaughter laws. Um, Canada's had something similar, I think, Under since Westray. Yes. Uh, so... Um, which, which is ironical because Bill C-45, yeah. which was what they moved to the Westray to create a new criminal code, yeah. is now, because in our parliament, much like yours, once the bill gets read in and passed in the law, it gets recycled. Yeah. So Bill C-45 is the new cannabis law oh, that they're trying really? to pass. Okay. So when people will still talk about Bill C-45, I'm like, are you talking the old safety one or the yeah. new cannabis one? People still... It's just kind of funny. Okay. Sorry, yeah. it's no, no, an but, oxymoron. But, but we'll have, People don't we, understand. We have all. the same things. Is that uh, industrial manslaughter? Because we've got so many different states. Um, there's now arguments not about um, the need for the law, but for the version no. of the law. No. Right. Eh, yeah. Anyway, so um, but what's my my question? I've written down here. Does the threat of jail improve the levels of safety in a workplace, or just generate more fear? Because you had you had similar laws and similar penalties for a while, I was hoping that you might be able to. Well, and and we've now had a couple court cases where people have been found criminally negligent, and we we have actually one that's gone to a sort of a manslaughter, a, yeah. a criminal uh, uh, that's there. Fear motivates certain people; it doesn't motivate others, and it will only for a short period of time. It, it's it's just like Siegfried and Roy. Siegfried and Roy, when they started to do their Vegas stage and put their head in the mouth of the, the, the tiger that's there, they were probably scared for the first few times. 20 years later, they're not. And then now there's no more Vegas. So I think when it first came out and people were talking about it, um, it produced that fear. 
senior leadership, individuals, mm. because it, it could be anyone in an organization, worker to senior, they paid attention and they went, okay. Yeah. But then when it wasn't pushed, when people weren't being charged with it, there yeah. wasn't cases, then they're like, oh, okay. And now I find that they're going, well, but that's not me. So that one case, that yeah. one example, oh, we're not like that, or we're not that bad. And they'll, they'll be able to kind of use the excuse out of it. It goes back to the old seatbelt aspect. Mm. I'm an old dog, and seatbelts were a new trick. I get in a car, I put on my seatbelt because it's just a habit yeah. now. It's what I do. Um, but there was a time when I was scared of the ticket, and that's why I put on the seatbelt. Or I didn't. I paid the first ticket. Okay, but um, Andrew Hopkins also used the seatbelt yeah, example, and it is it, it's it's all that cognitive dissonance yeah, and all that sort of stuff that, that I don't know how to spell. Um, <laughs> but um, it relied. The law came in, but it relied on enforcement. Yeah. If it didn't wasn't enforced, the seatbelt law would still not be as ingrained and habitual as yeah. as it is. Um, so, do you have when these? Did the industrial manslaughter laws or the corporal uh, the negligence laws? How did that change the uh, the regulator in terms of their enforcement? Did they sort of think, "Wow, here's a great opportunity," or did they just sort of say, "Well, that's over there"? It depends the government in the province at the time. We've got yeah. 14 different jurisdictions, and and depending if you have more of a conservative or a liberal government in place whether they say our regulators are more assist and advise and only intervene when it's really bad or go hard or go home, right, kind of situation. So that's what I find is it really depends on what the government, if it's an election year, well, of course they're not going to be pushing big companies. and. Sure. So uh, look, well, I think we're having the same thing in the industrial manslaughter campaign has occurred in the, um, in the context of state and federal uh, elections. So but but don't have a law if you're not going to enforce it. That's just my personal opinion. Um, I, I just I think that becomes hypocritical. It it creates it creates more of a, a poisoned environment for us to be in. Um, it's better not to have it if you're not going to. So how political should should safety professionals be? <laughs> should we be should we be lobbyists? I think there's a place for some to be <clears throat> lobbyists. I, I think that you always need to have champions who can help fight the good fight to make sure that we have appropriate standards in place and that there's appropriate enforcement and, and so forth, that it's not too lax or too heavy. You've got to have that balance that's there. You know, does that, do I want that to be my role? Mm, I, I rather talk about, well, I, I might want to lobby about having competent safety professionals and making us a profession more than, um, than than some of the other stuff. But then that's just my personal interest. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But I think there's a place. Okay. Just not for me. All right. <laughs> okay. Um, you've talked uh, about uh, psychosocial issues, psychological workplaces, that type of stuff. Canada's had the mental, uh, the mental health commission sponsored yeah. standard. Yeah. Uh, Safe Work Australia brought out a guide a couple of months ago yeah. on, on that, which is quite challenging. Um, and now I hear that the uh, ISO, the International yeah. Standards Organization, has got a meeting in Coventry. It's probably still happening yeah. as we're speaking on developing a psychologically healthy workplace standard. Yeah. Not too sure what number they're going to give yeah. us. But. Well, <laughs> I think it'll still be linked to 45,001. But 
a standard? I mean, how can a standard improve the psychological health of a workplace? I think for people who have good intentions but don't know what to do, referring to a standard can help them at least start somewhere, Mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and that's why we all go to you need to learn our craft or we take a course to add on skills and information that's there. Um, and, and so I, I believe that it's there. Is it going to be the, the magic wand, the, the, the perfect sword to, to slice through psychological issues in the workplace? Probably not. But at least it's a, a place to, to start. My fear, again, is that people will separate it. Um, or think that this is a whole new type of initiative where we should be looking at our workplaces holistic from the beginning? Well, I want to take the holistic uh, perspective just for a minute. Um, I think in Canada, as has happened in Australia, and to a lesser extent England, when health and safety laws came in, we looked at the traumatic stuff, which was terrific, but the physical things, because there was a lot of people getting maimed and injured and killed. Yeah, dead. Um, But to the extent that we neglected the psychosocial stuff that was there in the legislation, but we, we really hoped we didn't have to, nobody asked us questions about that. And then you think Canada, how different would Canada be if psychologically healthy workplaces had been as equal footing as traumatic injuries when the laws came in? What type of, what type of society, where would Canada be now in terms of its workplace if if psychological health was given the attention? We'd probably hold hands more and sing Kumbaya. Yeah. No. Um. Well, I was hoping you'd say we'd probably be Finland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but because um, but, uh, uh, yeah. we are trying to catch up on this stuff. We are. Some, some countries and, and some areas have definitely have been ahead of us and we could definitely learn. Most of us look at them and go, oh, this is wrong and this is wrong because we don't, we don't, we're scared. Um, I think part of why we're catching up too is it's so much easier to talk about that cup, that 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 moving piece of equipment, that physical thing, versus talk about that person or our feelings. Right? It's it's uncomfortable, and it's uncomfortable for most people. So I think we've almost wanted to just focus on hard safety, physical safety, versus go into that touchy feely stuff. Yeah. Um, because what if I say something wrong? What if I hurt somebody's feelings? What if I do the wrong thing? This I can just fix. I can. Yeah. Um, it, it's. I, I wish we were ahead. We're not. We are playing catch up, and that's where I think the psychological standard in Canada and some of the others are at least trying to say: here's some foundation pieces that you can at least start to build, or open people's minds up that it's not a lot different than the physical stuff. We need the same systems. It's the same risk assessment. and yeah. It's just different controls. It's different conversations. So, Safe Work Australia put a lot of work into having the hierarchy of controls of the psychological version of it, which I thought was very brave of them, but they actually pursued it, yeah. and they did rather well. Um, but um, if I, if, when I was starting out on work, I, if I was upset or I had a psychological issue at work, I wouldn't go anywhere near the safety person. I'd go to the HR person because they listen. This is meant to be their their area. Um, is it time for us to have um, to blend HR and OHS rather than have them fighting fighting each other or being in silos? I think there's a lot of fuzzy gray in between some of the the true black and white of what we do. I, I think. As a 
profession, we can't be the end-all, be-all. We can't, we can't be the, the only one. We have to start working with other professions and professionals to bring more to the table. That doesn't mean that we don't have a understanding that we can, again, do fuzzy gray overlap. Yeah. Um, I, I'd hate to say that all safety people need to be HR or all HR have to be safety. I, I wouldn't go that far because we definitely have our own nuances in our profession. There's some HR stuff I just never wanted to do. Yeah. Um, but I think we have to work together more. That, uh, we, we, go, we go so much farther together versus than if we are independent. And, uh, there's not a good understanding. No. I, I'm, I'm, and it doesn't matter where I go in the world. There's not a good understanding between safety professionals and HR about what we truly do and how we can complement each other and work together. And that's so sad. But what I'm seeing with the psychologically uh, psychological guidance that's coming out from OHS regulators is it seems to me that the HR are digging in um, and they're actually building more of their uh, uh, isolated concepts of it rather than sort of saying, wow, isn't that fantastic over in safety? Let's see what we can do. So that's have, my impression. We have an EFAP program. We have this family assistance E-F-A-P. program. That's what we call it in Canada. It's usually a, an employee and family assistance program. Okay. So it's the it's the insurance that you can go to if I'm stressed yep. or yep. if I need it. Right? And so a lot of times it's HR who builds those systems. And then I recommend people to that if I know there's an issue. Oh, you have an alcohol issue? Go yep. talk to HR. They'll send you to this program. So they think that a lot of those programs are set up to handle that. They have the clinical psychologists. They yeah. have the three things, you know, three therapist things you can go to, the downloadable video of how to be more resilient. So I think they think that they've already addressed these issues. Yeah. You, uh, you say that safety people have to understand HR and vice versa, and we have to work on that. Um, but in your presentation today, sometimes it was... Um, you would confront the CEOs or the executives and challenge them about safety. Do you do we need to know? Do we need to know their language? Do we need to understand their concepts so that we can talk to them in a way that's attractive to them, or do we just come to them and talk about safety? It comes to people's definitions again. If they see the world a certain way through their window, and we talk a totally different language. They can't grasp the concept. So, so you talk so, to an accountant about dollars uh, of safety, return or on investment. Uh, okay. Yeah, CEO. Wait, yeah. I always take a look at what is the book in their book bag on their coffee table. What are they reading on the plane? If they're reading Forbes, I'm going to see what's on the front page of Forbes and see how I can link yeah. safety to that article. Yeah, I do something similar with the uh, when I see the Harvard Business Review. Yeah. Um, I see the titles and I think, oh my god, it's the same stuff. But yeah, if I know that he's reading it. Um, I always think uh, I, I'd like the idea of a CEO who's lactose intolerant but wants to know the color of his cheese or, uh, or you know, who stole my cheese, whatever that cheesy yeah, yeah. management was. It's sort of, or, a, or a, the color of a parachute and he's fear, afraid of fights. But, but um, if that's what he's yeah. interested in yeah. and that's what he's thinking and he's trying to put his world into all of that, well, I'm going to put safety into it so he can think about it and understand it. So, Paw Patrol. Paw Patrol. Um, you know, is it Officer, the, the puppy dog? I can't remember his yeah. name. Or, yeah, Major. How does, does it, do you think Paw Patrol could have a safety professional there? I, you know what? I, I, think, I think they do. 
I think they do in many aspects because they often talk about hazard and risk and when one of the puppies um, or one of their pack goes and does something without thinking or without stopping and they always pull them back. They, they always start to ask the questions or saying, well, if we did this, this could have been wrong. And so I think in many ways, they, they don't have the safety professional, which would be yeah. nice, but they're putting in that it's individuals' responsibilities, no matter who you are in an organization, to take two seconds, two minutes, take two steps back and think about, do I have everything in place? What are the hazards and risks yeah. control? Well, I can see your next year's presentations. I can see some Paw Patrol in there. I, I, I definitely. I think they yeah, work really yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to be Australian, you know, get a coloured wiggle, the safety wiggle. The safety wiggle. And, okay. uh, and work on that. Yeah, or the safety... Yeah, cool. Nice to talk to you. Thanks, LD. Good talk to you too. Thanks. So that was Eldine Posniak talking to me in a cafe in Melbourne just earlier this month in September. Um, she's a fascinating woman, and uh, her presentations <clears throat> that I've seen over the last week or so were very, very well received. So it'll be interesting to see uh, uh, to see her again when she next comes to Australia, or when we get to catch up with her um, online or overseas. So that's the Safety at Work Talks episode eight for now. Um, there's uh, there's more things that we're working on um, over the next couple of months in different media and. Uh, and other sorts of things which I'll uh, I'll just leave you guessing about because they're taking a lot of work but I think they'll you'll find them extremely rewarding but I'll wrap up and close off and uh, by letting you know that my name's Kevin Jones I'm the editor and writer of the safety at work blog so I'm always here um, happy to get some feedback from you and uh, please contact uh, or check out the safety at work blog which uh, you can either Google or go to www.safetyatworkblog.com. It'd be great to hear from you, and uh, it'd be great if you could join the rest of um, the subscribers for the blog. So thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it, and please uh, stay safe.